Welcome to the Person, Partner, Parent podcast. We're all about pursuing a life where you can be a great parent, enjoy a loving relationship, and chase your own dreams. It's not necessarily about equal balance, but shifting with change and challenges that come before us. It's about discerning what matters and what we need to focus on. I am your host, Nancy Elizabeth. I'm a mom of two small humans and one fur baby. I'm a partner of 15 years and wife of nine. I'm an engineer who didn't want the corporate world, but armed with a love of research, I became a self-improvement enthusiast who has a burning desire to experience life in its fullest. Now I'm ready to take what I've learned, bring in the experts, and help us all figure it out. Let's get started. friends. Welcome back to Person, Partner, Parent Podcast. Today, we're going back to the partner part of Person, Partner, Parent. And, you know, it's our 10th episode of the podcast. My husband and I just celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary by the time um, this airs will be a couple days past. But it just seems perfect that we are going to do 10 things that I have discerned in the past 10 years of marriage for the 10th episode of the podcast. So 10 things. You're going to leave today with 10 tips, ideas, best learned practices, mistakes. I'm going to give you what I've learned so far, what's keeping us on track, what has pulled us back in, what I wish we had been more proactive about. So drum roll, please. Number 10, shared interests. So, I mean, that sounds obvious, right? Having things in common. Find what you do have in common and build on it. For some couples, this is easier than others because I think that's probably how their relationship started was over common interests. For other people, um, it's not as easy. I think it's fairly difficult. He may like sports and different things and she may prefer to, I don't know, be decorating or be in the outdoors or quilting. Your interests may be pretty far apart. So what I would say is find what you have in common. Again, for some of you, this is a lot of things. For others, you may have to dig and find what you have in common. But whatever that is, return to it again and again for date nights, for fun, for memories, for joy. Use it to lift each other up through hard times. Use these things as kind of your grounding. A couple weeks ago, my husband and I um, were quite frankly struggling. I, I pandemic is putting, I think, the squeeze on a lot of marriages. And and, and we were in that same spot. I, we're getting older. We're tired. We're not paying attention to each other. We're short with each other. And we were both drifting. And one of our anchor points for us is we love Dave Matthews Band. I know it's either a love or hate relationship, but we've loved them. And so some of our very first dates, we're going to concerts. We've been to, I think, 10 different concerts over the years as often as we can. And it's just one of our anchor points. So they've been hosting live replays of concerts. 
So I took a Wednesday night, I put it on after the kids went to bed and we just hung out and I kind of brought us back to a common interest. We, we cuddled, we sat together, it brought back a lot of memories and it was this nice moment to just shift the mood and bring us back together. But I think shared interest can also be, like I said, you have the things in common, but then there's the things you don't have in common. There's the things that your spouse, your partner likes that maybe you have zero interest in. Or they have zero interest in yours. So this is where I encourage couples to take some interest in what interests your partner. It doesn't mean you have to absolutely love it. It doesn't mean you have to absolutely love everything. But about things that they're interested in, I'm sure there's something you can find to appreciate about it. Because if it means that much to your partner, I think out of kindness and respect, it should mean a little bit to you. I, I still don't think it has to be your favorite thing, but you should be able to engage them in conversation about it maybe enjoy it with them every once in a while. I think that just goes a really long way for your partner feeling seen, feeling understood, feeling loved, and expanding that quality time together. So whether it's running, hiking, baseball, hobbies, stamp collecting, racing, sleeping in, cooking, whatever, there's thousands of different things it could be. It's going to go a long, long way for keeping your relationship healthy over time. Number nine, being on the same team. This means a number of different factors. Learning to fight well. Fight in a way that you're not hurting your partner. Fight in a way that they can feel safe bringing their grievances, concerns, conflicts, ideas, emotions. Find a way that you can fight and not hurt each other. Speak kindly. Don't be the person to put your partner down. Don't be the person to make fun of them. Don't be the person to belittle them and use language that you wouldn't use with yourself or your friend. Be their cheerleader. Cheer them on. Always speak kindly and encouraging and help them get through things. Help them get through the hard seasons. Help them believe in themselves. Watch teasing. I, I think a lot of couples I know like to banter back and forth but I think it's one of those things that's like truth serum. You know, sometimes they say, oh, I didn't mean to say it. I was drinking. Well, alcohol is a little bit of a truth serum. And I think teasing is also a little bit of a truth serum in that we didn't mean it or we were joking, but sometimes there's an element of truth. Often there's an element of truth hidden in those things. And once it's said, the thought is there. It's been spoken. It's been heard. It's been received. It's been felt. It's infiltrated your relationship. Be careful about teasing. This is one that I grew up in a family that teases, and so I tend to do it to Andrew. And we had a deep conversation recently where he was like, do you realize like what I think you think of me because you say this and that? And I, I didn't realize how much I was hurting him. And, and so that's one that I would, from experience, caution you. Have their back. If you're in a group conversation and, and people are joking, don't put down your partner. The way they do things, how they do things. Don't put them down. It's a, it's a bad habit to be in. You're their champion. You're their partner. You wouldn't want them doing it to you. By the same token, with friends and family, have their back. I mean, there's different attitudes about this, but you leave your families to join together and become your own family, your own couple. If you keep running back to your family or your partner to theirs, complaining, or if they're feeling pressure or your family's pressuring, it, for holidays, anyone can... <laughs> We should do a whole episode about holidays and boundaries and 
traditions and boundaries and expectations. There's a lot, but have your partners back in that. You two be a united front. Don't wish wash. Don't go behind your partner. Don't say, well, mom, but I want to come home, but they really didn't. So, and don't throw your partner under the bus. Don't do that. Have each other's back, make decisions together and be united. Be on the same page. So this one's a big part of being on the same team, being on the same page, whether it be before you're in a committed relationship, while you're figuring it out, at any point, you can always reevaluate and rediscuss, but you, you need to have the tough conversations to be on the same page about how you deal with money, about how you want to raise kids, about your boundaries, your boundaries with each other, your boundaries with friendships, your boundaries with family. You need to be honest and you need to be clear. You need to be on the same page about any potential deal breakers. Be aware or have agreed terms and agree to ne- renegotiate rather than violate boundaries. At such and such a time, we can rediscuss, or when our life dynamic changes in this way, we can rediscuss, or either one of us has a problem with how it's been, let's bring it up and we can rediscuss. And be on the same page with how the house will run. What are your expectations? What are your thoughts? What are your hopes? Who does what? You can't just operate with two separate ideas and never communicate them to each other. The next one, number eight, is be humble. Be willing to know yourself. So be humble. If you need to be right, that is not going to serve you in any relationship. We need to be willing to not always be right, to accept different ways of doing things, of seeing the world, of celebrating, of loving, of talking. We need to be willing to examine our own shortcomings. No one person is whole and perfect and without fault. If you enter your relationship with humility, with love, if you enter conflict, knowing that the goal is resolution, the goal is existing together in harmony. Be willing to know who you are. Be willing to do the work to know what you need. Be willing to know what you need as far as friendships and relationships and support outside of marriage. Be willing to love yourself. Don't wait for them to complete you or to define your worth, give you purpose or give you validation. That's way too much pressure on them. That's not what they're here for. Know yourself, love yourself. You find that completeness, that purpose, that validation within yourself, within your faith practice. Don't expect it to come from your partner. And this comes to number seven. Be willing to seek help outside yourself. So it's number seven, but it's one of those big important things that I could rank it much, much higher, but it flowed well out of eight, you know, being willing to know yourself, be humble. That's much easier to do when you're seeking help whether you're doing individual therapy, whether you're in couples therapy. I think everyone should do it at some point, should do it often, should check in, should be proactive. Do it before there's an issue. If there's an issue, go. Sure, absolutely. But do it for maintenance. Do it as you change and transition and grow. Maybe you go to marriage retreats. There's all sorts from secular to religious. There's all kinds of marriage retreats that can be a unique time to come together and be proactive and think about things that we don't think about in the daily pace of life. Maybe it's reading books and learning things. 
Maybe it's finding mentors, a couple that you admire or you look to, be they your same age or older, someone that you can run to and ask how they handle things or how they would handle things or what they see in you two that you might not see in each other. It's a great idea to have mentor couples. You can have more than one mentor couple. Maybe someone in different areas and avenues of life or who knows you through different channels and can give you different insight and reflections. But this one comes right after be humble because we need to be humble enough to not presume that we know everything, to not presume that we can do this without help. Marriage is hard. Partnership in the modern world is hard. I think to get through hard times, I think to progress through difficult moments in marriage, that we need to be willing to do some work. In our marriage, we've done therapy individually. Uh, We've done it as a couple, a couple times over. We, when we can, when we can afford it and make it happen, we proactively go on marriage retreats and we always love those. It's been a little while, so we've kind of did our own for our own anniversary. Sometimes we just have a couple things we want to talk through. Sometimes we just want to be quiet and reconnect, but we will try to find a night or a weekend and go away with a purpose. Maybe it's recharging. Maybe it's laughing together and having fun and doing some of those shared interests to reconnect us. And sometimes we go with some books and some quiet and some heavy things to talk about and pencil and paper and say, man, we have got to figure out where we're going in with this particular issue. We've got to get on the same page of parenting and the kids. We've got to get on the same page of what our faith practice is going to be. We've had some big, tough discussions, and I think there's some wonderful power in magic. Um, Maybe not magic, but I mean, there's, for us, both Enneagram ones, which is another conversation. I thought he was Enneagram nine. (laughs) Enneagram is like a personality test, and we're going to do whole episodes on it, but we're both Enneagram ones. And for us, we really need to be removed from our environment. Um, sometimes because we're very consumed by our to-do list and kind of perfectionist tendencies while we're in our environment. So for us, getting away is what it takes sometimes to have these hard conversations. We also are constantly reading and learning and being interested. And that segues into number six on our list. Dream together. You may be two different people who see some things very differently, and that's okay. A lot of times that's positive and wonderful to have two different people to go at life in different ways, to go at problems in different ways. Your careers may be very, very different. You may socially be different. Busy days might leave you just disconnected. Even if you are very alike, you may just be so busy going from one task to the next and taking care of and making meals and going to work and coming back and taking care of the house and this event on the weekend and that, that you just get disconnected. I always think that couples should dream together. Get together once in a while, like a rhythm or a ritual, and daydream. What do we want in our future? What kind of home do we want? Where do we want to live? What will our home feel like or look like? Is it about being clean and minimalist? Is it about being well-loved and busy and full of things and books and friends? Is it about hospitality? Is it about solace? This can be both in the long game. Like we 
have images of what we want our retirement to look like. Not crazy specifically. We want to travel. We want to live different places. We want a house when we have teenagers that is full of other teenagers. I dream years after that of having a house that my kids and their partners want to come back to, that their friends can come back to. I want Thanksgivings with people stuffed to the walls. But this can be short term too. Maybe next year, the next few months, what do we want our fall to look like? What do we want our holidays to look like? How do you want to tackle this next phase of life? How are we going to tackle the the rest of pandemic? Stay home. How are we going to tackle this next season while we renovate the house? How are we going to get through the next two years while you're in residency? It can be just having a game plan, getting on the same page, having a common idea, a common goal. There's so much power than continuously knowing what you're working towards and both of you making decisions towards that common goal. Whether it be with your money, your time, how you treat each other. And it doesn't have to be perfect. And I'm not saying you have to plan everything out and be meticulous. We also struggle with this a bit. You know, we have a couple things that we talk about what we want to look like. And like I said, I have a very clear vision of what I want like 20, 30 years from now to look like. But we have what I'm going to call a future blank zone. For the life of me, I cannot imagine 10 years down the road. So we don't have everything perfectly laid out. We are leaving the doors open. But we still have longer term goals. We still have short term goals. We still have common things that we are working towards. Recently, we rediscussed and my husband's like, you know, I really want to be the kind of family that packs up and goes on a hike. He's like, but you never want to. And I was like, well, I've been thinking for the past six months how I want to be the kind of family that's out in nature and hiking. We get an RV and we go see all the national parks and all this stuff. We both had the same dream, but neither of us knew the other one had it. We both made assumptions that the other one wasn't interested in that. I mean, it just feels so silly. But now we have our focus. We're going to go places where we can drive safely and travel right now and experience nature and see where that puts us. And we're so excited and reinvigorated that we're on the same page. We know where our money's going to go. We know where our vacation time's going to go. We have a purpose and a plan. You know, it's kind of like for any of you that are interested in manifestation. If you are united in a common goal and you're each taking individual actions towards that vision, you're both centered, you're both focused on something that's so much more powerful when you multiply that by more than one person. It's something positive. It's something fun. It's something that's going to bring you together. You can have shared hope, shared excitement. No matter how different you may be as people, you have something, some direction in which your lives are growing together. You have a place of commonality. It's powerful. And you can unite as a team, which is very powerful. Number five, grow together. So you've already set those visions, those dreams, those goals. Now we can talk about growth. You will change over time. Fact. As we learn and get older, or as the world around us changes us, inevitably we will change. Some people would change more than others. Some people are more proactive about certain things and being willing to hear other ideas and change. But I think regardless, over time, your body, your mindset shifts a bit. And like I said, the world around you will sometimes force that change upon you. It may be our perspective on things. It may be our political views. It may be our likes, our dislikes. It may be our faith. We might make big monumental shifts. 
And that can cause tension. That can be tough. That's that phrase that I don't even know who I'm married to anymore. I don't even know who you are anymore. So my idea for this is as you change, bring your partner in. So when I say grow together, it doesn't mean that you have to change parallel. It doesn't mean you both have to change. If you're having a shift in how you see certain things, it doesn't mean your partner has to. They might, and that's awesome. If you grow together, literally, in parallel, that is wonderful and powerful and a shared experience, but you don't have to both change. I don't think we can really fairly force somebody else to change. But what you can do is you can bring your partner in. As you change, as you reflect, you can share. You can be honest. Hey, this is what I've really been thinking about lately. This is what I've been reading about. This is on my heart. This is bothering me. This is what I'm questioning. This is what I'm thinking. This is how I'm seeing the world differently. This is how I'm valuing my time, my resources differently. I think if we bring our partner in and make them aware of what we're going through, at least then they never get surprised and they're never quite shocked. That if they can understand why and how you're going through this change and what is bringing about this change, then I think you can weather those changes. As long as they're willing to love and respect you and, and see you as you are, this is how you weather change. It's not always easy. Sometimes there are things that you may change on that were initial deal breakers. It may be your perspective on having children, not having children, faith, unfaith. Some people can ebb and flow and, and have a partner who has a different faith outlook. Sometimes that may be a difficult hurdle to overcome. Having children, not having children, and how you raise them, those might be difficult things to overcome. You know, I'm not getting on here and pretending that this list is some magic list that can save every marriage. Marriages end. Some marriages probably should end. I, you know, and I'm not a professional and, you know, the whole disclaimer thing, none of this is medical professional advice. This is learned experience, observations, gathered knowledge. You know, I, I am one of the people that struggles with my faith. It feels very vulnerable to share that here and with my husband. But when I'm in that moment, I share my why. I'm sharing what I'm thinking, what I'm struggling with. Uh, I see that it hurts him. I see that it's a pain point for him. But he doesn't try to fix it for me. He doesn't shame me. And this is really good for a few reasons. I feel heard and understood. I feel safe. He knows what's going on in my heart. He knows what I'm struggling with and why. If I do change my mind about anything, he's not going to be shocked. He's going to know that I've been in this process. You know, this can also be the case this year of having these changing mindsets with school decisions, with learning, with unpiling systemic racism in society, changing social norms. You know, over the years, I've changed a ton. Like, I am nowhere who I thought I was going to be, and I am nowhere near who I was 10 years ago, 16 years ago when we first met. You know, in one way that we can laugh about and is a bit more mellow, I'm a lot more environmentally conscious and minimalish, we'll say. Slowly and over time, I keep telling him, and then like the paper towels disappear and there's a bucket of rags. 
and then all the dish rags disappear or different things and every paper and plastic thing has disappeared. Plastic bags disappeared and I did the silicone reusable bags. Toilet paper hasn't gone anywhere and neither has Kleenex and I'm not sure we're going to go that far. But I'm like on this mission to minimize our trash, buy sustainable clothing, buy used where I can, materials that are ethically sourced, good for the environment, can be recycled. So there's a lot of factors. And he's been like watching me do this for years. But, you know, it's just I, I've been honest with him the whole way. And a lot of times he joins me, especially when I give him research. We love to have like research parties where I'm like, here's the five articles I found on why I'm getting rid of paper towels. And he's like, OK. <laughs> Every once in a while, he'll tell me I'm nuts, but he still respects if it means enough to me that we can try it out. Number four, deal with it before it ferments. I was trying to find, trying to think of a better way to to state this, but basically don't let something grow and fester and become resentment. If it's an issue and it bothers you, it needs to be dealt with. There are a few different facets of this, though, and it might look different than what you're thinking. There are things that need to be brought up in the moment, and there's things that we can wait. We can wait until our regular, scheduled family couple meeting. That might be good because it's time you're both emotionally and mentally prepared. You can expect what's going to happen. Maybe you have less distractions, hopefully, and it's a time you can focus. You know, there's that marriage advice that says, don't go to bed angry. And I'm not sure that that's the best marriage advice. Because if you're both feeling so passionate and you are in an argument where you are reacting and not responding, where you are angry, where your feelings are fiery and passionate, it might be best to chill. Like it might be best to take a couple deep breaths, get some sleep get some space, whatever it is, I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think you have to go to bed resolving everything. I think it's okay to understand when things can be pushed out a little bit. Just don't forget about them. And part of dealing with things before it ferments is dealing with things yourself. Yeah. That doesn't mean every little thing, every little argument needs to become an argument. Again, it's the piece of advice, choose your battles. Now, it doesn't mean be walked over. It doesn't mean things aren't important. But sometimes you might have some work to do to process your feelings or your reactions to something. It might not involve your partner at all. Your feelings, your stories you're telling yourself might not be accurate. And it might have nothing to do with your partner. You might be blaming them for things, resenting them for things that aren't their fault. So be willing to deal with it. Be willing to bring it up to each other, to work through things, to deal with them. Be willing to look inside yourself and deal with things, address things before you build up resentment against your partner. Number three. This one seems obvious, but controversial. Honesty. Andrew and I believe in a full honesty policy. No hiding friends, relationships, no hiding your past, no hiding expenses. So there's there's a lot of things there that I just dropped. I think you need to be honest with the friendships that you have. Any friendship that could have a potential romantic 
connection, a potential physical, you know, any of that. Just just be honest. Just be honest that you had lunch with your buddy, that you had lunch with your friend. Be honest that you had lunch, you know, that you got a Christmas card from your ex-girlfriend. Just be honest. If there's honesty, there's less room for suspicion. There's less room for assumption. There's less room for uncertainty and doubt. And you can deal with it and set boundaries together. I think no matter what the relationship is, you just need to be forthright with your partner about what happens in that relationship and how you're feeling about it. And if there's anything there that's a potential to hurt or damage your relationship. So your past. I think you should be honest about the past. I think your partner needs to see you, to understand you, to understand why you react, to protect you, to be kind, to see you and empathize with you. It can be from a million little things like holiday traditions to what hurts you have, to what sensitivities you have, to what you understand and don't understand. Life will challenge you. As it goes on, things will come up that you never expected to face. And so much of this is going to come out or you're going to be reacting in a certain way and your partner's not going to have any idea why. Be honest about your story. Own your story. Own your past. Be honest with your partner. And expenses. I, My partner and I are huge on being open and honest about expenses. If I need to hide my shopping, my Amazon, my clothes shopping, whatever, if I need to hide that from him, I just think it's setting a not great precedence. It's saying he doesn't trust me. I don't trust him. It's saying I'm doing something maybe I shouldn't or isn't in line with our goals or we disagree on and we haven't set defined boundaries and I'm just doing what I want to do. Or we set boundaries and I'm completely disregarding them. Be honest. Hey, shoes make me really happy. It's something that gives me joy. It's something that gives me meaning. Within our budget, within our lifestyle, I would like to be able to procure so many shoes. Our shopping and giving gifts means a lot to me. I'd like to do that. Golfing means a lot. Having certain hobbies. Um, Eating more expensive food not eating more expensive food, going on trips, not going on trips, having a bigger home, a smaller home. I think we need to be really honest with our expenses because I think it's part of a bigger conversation about values, meaning, what matters to you, what doesn't matter to you, your partner being able to hear you and honor you as you are. You shouldn't have to hide. So then there's another side of honesty, which is a little bit of a trap. And it doesn't mean you say, What's on your mind all the time? Like every thought you think, you say. I think we all know there needs to be a filter and there needs to be some discernment um, and that we maybe don't utter our first thoughts when our spouse, especially when you've been together a long time, when they frustrate you, when they're doing something (laughs) that we've talked about many, many times. Sometimes my first gut reaction isn't the kindest and I don't need to share that. I can do the work inside myself and say, hey, that wasn't really nice. Like that was coming from a not great place. I need to be his cheerleader. I need to be his supporter. I need to be kind. Or if I have such a problem with the way he's doing X, Y, Z, then we need to have a discussion and either I can take it over or I can get over it. (laughs) 
or we can just have, be clear about our expectations. Number two. The big, giant, super obvious communication. It's so often a skill we take for granted. It's so often something we think that we have down that we don't realize how it needs to change over time. We don't realize how we need to revisit it. It's something I think we need to read and work on and seek therapy and coaching to work on the skills. Misheard things, uncommunicated things, miscommunicated things, not being able to process and express emotions. These are such a big part of why problems happen in relationships. Before kids, I feel like it was easier for us to communicate because quite frankly, there was time. We had meals, we had dates when we go to bed, going throughout our day. Now our days are so full and so busy of tasks to task to task to task to task and then just being tired. We have to be very mindful and intentional just to have simple conversations. We're leaning on skills that we worked on in those earlier years but we need to be much more intentional about it. I've shared before that my husband is in the military. And so in his military time, he spends a lot of time away from home. Our first seven years of marriage, he was away for, I think I, it was like four and a half years of time that he was away. He had a couple long deployments, a lot of trainings. It was the trainings I didn't anticipate. It was the six weeks here, the eight weeks there, the 12 weeks here, the two weeks there. I knew six to eight to 10 month deployments. I knew they would be on the table, but I didn't realize how much all these other little side trainings would add up. And so we spent a ton of time apart. And one of the biggest examples of this was his very first deployment. He was on an aircraft carrier. And so being on an aircraft carrier is like going back in time. I don't know, maybe 70 years You don't really have reliable internet on an aircraft carrier, especially for some of the places they traveled in for security reasons. It would be spotty. It would be intermittent. You couldn't just pick up a cell phone. They had uh, special satellite phones that he would get on about once a month, and it would be a very quick phone call. It would be very delayed and raspy, and it would be awkward because you knew other people were standing around waiting for their turn. So it was weird. We basically communicated via written letters, which took weeks on either side, and then email. And that would be how we were communicating. I would hear his voice about once a month, or if they had a port call, we would talk as much as we could during that weekend. But it was the most interesting time because what it did is it forced a microscope on our communication skills. It made us realize how we were communicating, our styles of communicating, what was good, what was bad, what we talked about and how we talked about it. But it was very interesting because we could easily go through, it was pre-children, so we could go through the logistics of what's going on with the house, the dog, bills, family, our lives, much less so than later deployments where it was a lot of logistics of what's going on with the children. But also we realized that those conversations weren't connecting us and they seemed kind of drudgery and they didn't really get to the heart of connecting us. We developed patterns, we developed practices of how to communicate, of how to keep in touch and how to talk about things that are bigger and deeper. 
what are those shared goals that we have? What are some dreams we have for when this is over and we get to reunite? What is our house going to look like? What projects are we going to do? Where are we going to travel? Do we want to have children yet? We would start talking about deeper topics, even over email when there would be a 12-hour delay. But it kind of connected us and gave us something bigger and more important to talk about than what was going on with the lawn mowing and how the grocery bills were doing. Communication is so important. And when you lose it or you have it compromised or reduced, you realize how important it is. And that is such a gift of military life is that they've been able to give us this window and this opportunity to see our communication in a different way, to see our relationship in a different way. And we're all the way down to number one. How did that happen so fast? (laughs) Number one is the choice. I heard this from a psychologist at a marriage conference that we went to. And he talked about that relationship is waking up every single morning and making the choice today to look at that person, to hold their hand and say, today, I'm walking through this journey of life with you. Today, we're doing this together. I think it's, I know I talked about it before, but it is such a powerful visual, such a powerful thought that whether you're married or not married, regardless of that piece of paper, regardless of that legal or religious line defining what your relationship is, you still again and again choose each other day in and day out. I think some people like to talk about marriage because they're like, well, you, you're committed. It, it gives me some security that you're not turning the other way and that tomorrow you're not just going to leave. But I think we know for most people in modern times that that's not necessarily true. Relationships, marriages can end and do end. And relationships that aren't defined by marriage can last forever. I, I don't think we need to lean on the word of marriage as this boundary line. I mean, I can understand it. I mean, clearly we've engaged in the practice of it was an outward sign and symbol of us binding our lives together. Legally, there's a lot as far as insurance and, and taxes and healthcare and a lot of things that it helps us by being in that because of the way society is set up. But as far as our relationship, every single day we still need to actively choose one another. If we're going to be happy and committed in this relationship over and over and over and over again, we get that opportunity. We get that opportunity to say we can each handle today separately or we can face today together. We may not always be thrilled to hold each other's hand. We may not always be the happiest. Maybe every day isn't with enthusiasm. Maybe every day it's not with complete certainty. Maybe you're in a hard season. Maybe you're evaluating if this relationship should continue. Maybe it's just hard. We put this weight on marriage of forever. But I think it doesn't feel so daunting if we take it day by day by day and say, today I choose you. You know, your relationship, if you think about it, 
at least for us, the day after we got married didn't feel like this gigantic shift. Like we didn't feel in our relationship this, like the day after our wedding was monumentally different. And with all this, I'm not saying that marriage doesn't need to be the goal or that love that lasts a lifetime isn't the goal. But regardless of how you define it, handle it one day at a time. Look at it as not something you said 10 years ago to someone completely different, 15 years ago to someone completely different, 30 years ago to someone different. Look at it as something you're saying, I chose you then and I choose you now. I chose you when we were young and I choose you when we're old. I choose you when we didn't have kids. I choose you when we do have kids. I choose you with one kid, two kid, three kids. I choose you when we had jobs, when we had money, when we had security. I choose you when we don't have security. I choose you when we know what tomorrow is going to look like, and I choose you when we don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. I choose you when we're physically fit and full of energy. I love you when we're going through medical difficulties. I love you when life has slowed down a bit. I love you when we're figuring it out. I love you when it's hard. I love you when it's easy. I love you when we rediscover and redefine our next chapter. I think there's power in choosing every day because it removes that idea of being stuck. And it kind of removes that idea of being a bit of a victim to something or being things being outside of your control. If you get every morning to make that choice again, then you're in control. You choose how you respond. You choose what you're reactive to. You choose what you are proactive about. You choose how you communicate. You choose how that day is going to go. You choose if there's conflict, what you do. You choose if there's trouble, what you do. You choose if there's joy, how you celebrate. You choose to laugh. You choose to dance, to sing. Whatever it is, you you get power. You have the ability. And this doesn't have to be an agreed upon, you wake up and literally look each other in the eyes and say, I choose you and say, I choose you too. Although I think I have to get him on. And and, because I think he talked about people doing that and what kind of a beautiful, amazing practice that could be. Say, I choose you like I reluctantly choose you today or I'm choosing you with difficulty or I'm choosing you with sadness. I It could be such an interesting thing, but you can do this completely individually. Just look at them and say, yeah, I choose you today. On that note, to my best friend, I love you. It has been harder than I knew it would be. It has been much more beautiful than I knew it would be. The part of my heart and my soul that you hold now, that I have entrusted you with, is so much more intimate, so much more vulnerable than I knew it would be. When we were young and excited, I mean, I loved you deeply then and I love you deeply now, but it feels different, it looks different. I am amazed at what love can be. For so many reasons, I choose you today. Happy 10 years. Here's to 60 more. Or maybe 80. Maybe science will be really awesome by then and we can live to 120.
Thanks, friends, for listening and going through this journey. Relationships aren't easy. Partnerships aren't necessarily easy, but they can absolutely be an asset in our lives. Love yourself and know yourself, but also don't be afraid to lean on somebody. Don't be afraid to go through with a partner, to choose each other today and tomorrow, to lift each other up, to carry each other through, to walk through things together. That's the beauty of partnership. I would love to hear about your relationships and how you are actively choosing each other every day. Pop a comment up on Instagram at Hello Nancy Elizabeth or at Person Partner Parent Podcast. Head up to the show page at www.nancyelizabeth.com slash podcast. Drop some comments. Let me know what you think. What has worked for you in your partnership? What are some patterns of dreams, of communication, of being on each other's teams? I know we can compile a ton of awesome examples about what this can look like in application. Our pretty moments, our messy moments, our messy moments are when we learn. Friends, I am so glad that you are here. Thanks for listening. I hope you have a great day. 